And I'm Emma. And this is Honey Do Me Podcast. Yeah. I felt like I was answering a phone when we were saying hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> you would know that if you were on our YouTube, which mm-hmm. you can go to. Yeah. Little Honey plug. Do Me Podcast. <laughs> small plug. I have a small update. Okay. Um, Hit us with it. Okay. I'm not going to say the name, but we had someone write in to our email with, um, they had a beautiful, very sweet email, but they also suggested a position tip. And I read that thoroughly. Okay. And then I was intrigued. And then I tried it. (gasps) So if you're listening and you recognize the position, thank you so much. I do not know if I can use your name, so I'm not going to. But thank you. Okay. Um, They suggested, they were listening to our scissoring episode. Mm -hmm. And they try a very similar position with their partner. And they described it as laying down on your side. Okay. And then... One leg is down and one leg is up, so you're kind of in like an opening the clamshell. Okay, yeah. And then your other partner is sliding in between. So my partner, with a penis, Uh slid in between. And so the leg that was up was now resting on his shoulder, and he was like straddling my leg that was in between his legs. I get it. You're good at descriptions. Thank you. Yeah. Um, And so it was like a deep, like, scissoring, penetrative uh, position for us. Yeah. And it's like, sounds quite deep. I know. <laughs> sounds quite deep. It hit all the things I love about missionary, which is like mm-hmm. being super close. Yeah. Um, while also hitting the things I love about like deeper positions. Yeah. Um, like that. And so it was like fun. Cause we were like looking in each other's eyeballs, Yeah, you know, nose to nose, but, <laughs> um, it was just fun and spicy and it like got me in the mood all day thinking about trying something new Okay, where I like hadn't really felt you know, saucy mm-hmm. for the couple days. So that's my fun little update, and it was wonderful to try. That's very fun. Yeah, and a lot of friction, it. like right there, okay. which I know that yeah. you enjoy, like mm-hmm. the closeness. So it was exactly. it was fun. I like it. Thank you, listener. Well, thank you to yeah, both of you. Yeah, <laughs> thank you for trying you. it out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was really fun. So that's my fun update. How are you? Great. Um, today's really episode. <laughs> Yeah. I don't have very many fun updates. <laughs> I'm okay. chugging along. Okay. I'll be okay. We're all going to be better after today. Yeah, we are because we are talking to Ann Hottership. You may recognize that name. It's because she has been on the podcast before. She taught like a long time ago. Yeah, one years of our, like, ago. OG. Literal. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that's weird. Literal to say. years ago uh, to talk about sex dreams. Mm-hmm. So that was a really fun episode. Um, but this time we are talking about modern love languages. Mm-hmm. And fuck. Who, and I didn't think that that was a topic we could visit in like a new way. Uh-huh. But when we saw Anne's take on like love languages and how expansive they can be. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I was blown away. Absolutely. And I feel like both of us have had the experience of not feeling like we fit into any uh-huh. of those like classic five love languages, which you'll learn are actually pretty fucked up and come mm. from a not great place. Um but yeah, it's like, well, can I be all of them? Yeah. Because that's what makes the most sense to me. Or like three of them this day, two of mm-hmm. them that day. Um, but yeah, and just makes it a lot more expansive. And love is so expansive mm-hmm. that it needs to be captured in a more fluid, ginormous yeah. kind way. Yeah. And so I feel like this episode really gave me words to mm-hmm. help 
with like identifying what makes me feel loved and also being able to help communicate that to whomever I'm feeling like love towards, which can be so many people, objects, animals. Yes. And this is, you'll get it. It's not like sexual <laughs> love. I'm not like this having is not sex pervertible. with objects. <laughs> but you get it. That's a different thing yeah. for a different day. Um, I'm going to stop here. <laughs> the only thing in my head is a candlestick. <laughs> Don't make me bellow like that. <laughs> I just bellowed like like a big giant. I you were gonna say, "Don't make me horny like that." No, I like, my laugh echoed like I'm a giant in a little cave. Well, the honey the, hole, the honey hole. So right. we'll let Anne take it away. Yeah. See you on the other side. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having me. My name is Anne Hottership. I am now an award-winning sex and relationships educator. Uh, I do a couple of things. Um, mostly I run an organization called Everyone Deserves Sex Ed, where we teach the teachers how to teach sex ed, as well as teach teens, parents, couples, really anybody who wants to supplement the sex ed, probably crappy sex ed mm-hmm. that they had when they were younger and they really want to learn what's true about things like the body and relationships and our feelings and gender, all those kinds of things. And I also do have my private practice where outside of everyone deserves sex ed, I do a lot of work with people who want to get to know themselves a little bit better and understand concepts like love and relationships outside of some of the maybe restricted definitions that we are sort of fed and most exposed to as we're growing up with the goal, of course, to just, find ways to exist in the skin suit we didn't choose (laughs) a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love how a lot of your work feels like course correcting, you know, the education we didn't get Mm -hmm. about sex ed, the education we didn't get about how to have like healthy relationships. It's the work that we need. And so thank you. You're award winning in our hearts as well. (laughs) Hooray. Well, today we want to talk about something that you've talked a lot about on your page, which are modern love languages. But first, let's start with just a basic definition of what is a love language. Yeah, the way I like to describe it is using analogies like thinking of just regular languages, the kinds that we use, like we're using right now, we're speaking English, right? But even though some people seem to feel differently. English isn't the only language in the entire world. (laughs) There are so many ways to communicate feelings, needs, thoughts, you know, all the things, but so many different ways to do it. And it's not always even using our mouths. We've got symbols, we've got motions, we've got pictures, all kinds of stuff. And the beauty of that is just, there are just so many ways to actually register what's going on and how to like experience ourselves and the world around us. So when you think about a love language, similar kind of concept, it's the, this idea of we communicate love to other people as well as understand and receive love for ourselves in more than one way. And just like how there are lots of languages in the world, there are also lots of languages when it comes to relationships and rela- relational dynamics. And that if we can potentially understand, like what's the language we understand love in and what's the language we speak and share love in, maybe we can navigate relationships easier, especially when it comes to things like conflict or having needs met, or even just being aware of what our needs even are. Mm-hmm. I love that definition. I think that's beautiful. And an easy way to conceptualize it in terms of just language in general. Mm-hmm. This is just another way that we speak to each other. Because mm-hmm. it, yeah. it does feel like a language that you're learning, new words get added, 
new feelings get added. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's constantly evolving, which I think is a huge thing with language is that it's evolving with its people. And if you Definitely. can't speak it, it makes it hard to communicate. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If you don't right. have like, I was going to say a dictionary, but <laughs> how do you learn Spanish? You know, like from mm-hmm. like a book that teaches you the words and it's like, how do you learn if you don't have any t- type of outline? Exactly. So, and, you know, I, even yeah. I want to take that even a little further too. It's such a good analogy or like you're stretching it in such a good way. Because also when you think about for anyone who's listening, who might also be fluent in a second or third or 10th language, when you really think about what's the thing that helps you get fluent, it's not even the books or the classes. It's you dump yourself into the environment and you are forced to just constantly speak it. And like the the idea of you lose it if you don't use it kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. The fluency comes from just like navigating it and repetition and really practicing it constantly. So there's also that layer of you can read all the books. Absolutely, it helps you. But the books aren't the thing that makes you, quote unquote, fluent and understanding yourself and others fully in that way. You also have to like practice it and take what you've read and learned into mm-hmm. the real world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So... I am familiar with, and I think a lot of us are familiar with, the classic five love languages. And I didn't know, and I think a lot of other people don't know, the very, like, homophobic, sexist, very religious, like, exclusive place that that came from. So -hmm. can you talk a little bit about that and why we shouldn't be promoting Gary Chapman, the original, like the creator of those classic five love languages, like why we should not be promoting that anymore or using that to base our ideas of love on? Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, like I do hesitate telling people like, you know, don't do this anymore. Cause there's always someone who's like, don't tell me what to do, even though it's for the greater good. And I totally get that. Um, I would say, just first off, like once you learn some of the things that are very intentionally like concealed about the origins of that work and this man, that new information may change how you feel about it. And mm-hmm. maybe that'll compel you to not necessarily completely throw it all away, but maybe think about it differently and recognize that uh, this isn't necessarily the capital T only way to think about love. And potentially this could be a form of bias that could be leading you in directions that you don't actually really feel connected to in your life. So for example, uh, yeah, this gentleman um, has had, you know, a book deal for the last 30 years, many, many different iterations of the idea or concept of a love language. And he, number one, um, sort of took something very complicated and individual and subjective like love and separated it into only five different like categories of what quote unquote counts as a language of love. Now it's better than having zero, but five is like a drop in the bucket. When you really think about how complicated all of that is, it's oversimplifying something that cannot be simplified and then staying rooted in that. Like, nope, this is how it is forever. For 30 years, it's been challenged and he rejects every single challenge. Um, In addition to that, that sort of like baby steps into why this is kind of maybe problematic. Uh, The gentleman has always sort of marketed himself as a marriage counselor, which adds, you know, trust. You feel like, yeah, if I'm going to get some like relational love type knowledge that is centered in romantic relationships, then yeah, I'm going to want probably a marriage counselor to be the person who gives it to me. 
but he's really just what I call a cosplaying as a marriage counselor. He is a Christian minister. He has training in adult education. And the way he became a quote unquote marriage counselor was in his practice, um, couples were coming to him with their marriage issues because that's what they would do in the community. You know, I'm having an issue therapist. Now let's go to the guy who tells us about what this book means. And you know, the person who lives in the sky and judges us. Mm -hmm. And so he was working with enough, enough couples where he's like, I'm a marriage counselor now. And without the transparency of, of that, that right away to me is like, Oh, that's so unethical and misleading. But then of course there's the red flag of Christian minister. Wait a minute. Let's like dig into this a little more because Religion on its own, great. It gives a lot of people a sense of like, here's a, the reason why I'm on this earth. Mm -hmm. Okay, that brings me solace. And, you know, maybe death feels a little bit less scary and it gives us maybe a set of values to, to live by and follow. But as we all know, there are sects or groups or versions or forms of various religions, Christianity, especially in the U.S., that take some of these value systems into an extreme where you are, you find ways to justify and feel permitted to dehumanize millions of people based on a biased, uh, bigoted interpretation of an old book that's been rewritten by white dudes so many times that who even fucking knows what it really originally <laughs> said, right? So um, digging into this gentleman's you know, version of Christianity a bit more, also a little bit more difficult to find on the internet, were some very public um, Q&As that he was having with people. And one of the responses, well, I'll even say it, one of the questions was around like how something like, you know, how do I deal with my gay son? How can I find a way to love him even though he's going to burn in flames forever in eternity when he dies? I'm paraphrasing, right? <laughs> and his reply was kind of that classic kind of religious homophobia that's, like, I love you, you are God's child, and I love you because of that, because God tells me to, and I'm really sorry to hear that you are going to rot and burn in hell. And if you if you want some help, I'm here. But you should, you know, love him because he's God's child, despite the sexual orientation, but also be prepared, you don't get to see your son in heaven. It's, it was just like, huh. and that was the, um, initial like oh shit this guy is a super homophobe and not um trying to hide it mm -hmm. he genuinely sees it as like a righteous perspective on attraction um and so that started to circulate in just very small circles and uh and then more were sort of came out um for me most recently at the 30th anniversary of the original five love language book um He's in his 80s with his wife, and he was speaking to the New York Times, and he just, like, gave a whole different – he, like, told kind of the story of the origins of the idea of uh, making these five. And the story, of course, to him is, like, isn't this adorable and cute? And to me, I was like, oh, my God, if it couldn't – could it get any fucking worse? Mm -hmm. And it was really just something along the lines of, you know, I helped my wife with the dishes one day. She seemed less upset at me and I don't know, nicer or whatever, happier. And I realized, oh, act of service. This is a way I can show love instead of like just sharing a fucking household because you're partners and mm -hmm. she's not a, you don't marry a servant, you marry a human. Uh, anyway. And so it was like, oh shit. And 
when you really then kind of break down each of those love languages, there is a way to kind of see how it could be used to perpetuate not only just heteronormativity, just men and women are the only ones, cis men and cis women, only ones allowed to get married, but also the gender roles associated where this is how you make that heterosexual marriage work. And that's because you have to really dig into your inherent manness or her inherent femininity, blah, 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 through the acts of service thing or the gift giving or physical touch. And and this is like the longest explanation, but it's like so layered. Mm -hmm. Um, So all of that together, it was just like, he's not even a marriage counselor. It's not rooted in anything fucking real beyond his perception of relationships and what's right or wrong, barf. Also super homophobe, Christianity all day. In some ways, you could see it as like veiled propaganda. I'm sure that wasn't his intent, but who cares? Um, And then later on, really thinking about, oh, this is how it all came about. It was just like his own dynamic with his wife trying to figure out, you know, how do we coexist while she is the woman of the house? It was just like, ah, you know, I think just from that info alone, we probably could use something way something more updated. nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If that's where we're yeah. getting our definition of love, <laughs> we're a little fucked. <laughs> we're a little far behind, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And like, just to add on it again, it's like, I don't know how to concisely ever answer this question. I'm asked this all the damn time on top of just all of that, like him, particularly in the origin story, here are the other reasons why the original five and that simplification actually could potentially be causing more harm than good because it's so generalized. It is so open to interpretation, which also means it's open to misinterpretation. Mm -hmm. And when I would originally use the concept, but I was like morphing it for some of my groups that I was running, I was noticing a pattern with how people were receiving things like gifts, as well as receiving the idea of physical touch as a love language. And I was seeing the gift giving was being shat on as something shallow and embarrassing if that was the one that resonated with you and it shouldn't count and physical touch was another word for how to get sex that men need sex because naturally they're just so hungry for it all the time that's a total farce and that uh we can use physical touch to coerce and bring someone into a sexual mood to meet us where we want them to be and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, God, how, what, how do I undo that? Because mm-hmm. uh, it was really, it like really freaked me out. Because uh, it also started to kind of click with some of the men that I have chosen in my past to be with. I'm like, oh, my God. I feel some of that, like, you know, it's physical touch. It's my love language. You need to show me love. Otherwise, you starve me of love. How dare mm-hmm. you withdraw? And it's like, okay, that's a fucked up way of thinking of consent, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the other issue with like the lack of nuance is people took it however they wanted and to, in order to like reinforce or validate really actually like harmful shit that is mm-hmm. causing people in relationships a lot of harm and suffering. Mm-hmm. That point on physical touch and misinterpreting and misusing it was exactly what came into my head. Um, that's fucking terrifying. I can just think of all the ways. And what sucks is when people are using this language, it almost sounds like they're really emotionally intelligent. Well, like that's my love language. That's how I receive love. So I need you to give that to me. Like that makes it sound like, oh, well, they're in alignment with my values or like they have this understanding that I must just not know. I might as well just kind of force myself or if I'm on the edge, maybe I'll just kind of lean that way because I know they need it. 
That's fucked. When Chad from the bar picked like physical yeah. touch <laughs> is my love language. Yeah. <laughs> you Everyone didn't think about me. that. <laughs> like Chad is like, they always tell me I'm too handsy and like I'm too pushy with sex, but now I understand why. It's my love language. So I'm allowed to. And if you tell me otherwise, you are gaslighting me. It's so, it's just, you can take it so far with all of the lingo. Because this is a, to me, it's like a form of memification of something like mental illness or mental health or relational skills. You can't memify love. It's too fucking weird and gray area and and layered and fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can really cause harm without the the nuanced lens and without sometimes even like a tool or a person to support you as you're navigating some of the information so that you're not inadvertently morphing it into something that maybe just reinforces your old ideas and helps you actually not have to grow, change, or challenge yourself. Mm -hmm. That's just, yeah, all of that is such a great explanation of why the fuck we need modern love languages. And I want to get into your explanation of what modern love languages is, but five love languages also has made people feel, I feel like, so misplaced too because you're like so I'm not this I'm not that I have to fucking pick one to tell Mm -hmm. my partner I don't even know where I fit and now it's like what so now I just don't have a language or like Mm -hmm. I'm fucked up in this relationship so it's like Mm -hmm. that's my experience with having the five is that I just don't feel like all of them fit or one of them fits at particular times Mm -hmm. it has felt and for it to be 30 years old and also from an origin like that, it's like, mm, makes sense. <laughs> I don't want that to fit me. I don't want it to fit. I don't think right? it fits. it's validating almost like, oh, yeah. good. You know, yeah. I felt like I was maybe broken for 20 years, but like, now I'm all right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So what are modern love languages then? How do we encompass all that is this fucking weird gray area of love? <laughs> so absolutely. The number one thing I guess to start with that makes them a modern love language is they're incredibly expansive. So if you think of, you know, the original idea was love is something exclusive to romantic relationships leading to marriage or family. That's really how they were kind of like originally shown. To me, that's like a little, little container. Doesn't mean it's Mm -hmm. not valid. You know, for some people, love is a cornerstone of their romantic experience and it's not a part of anything else. And same with like family, the blood is thicker than water thing, whatever, you know, but it's like a little container. And so the to make it expansive is literally like, let's take it out of the container and there's just no container for it. Mm-hmm. It gets to sit wherever in the ether and it gets to grow and expand as more people have more experiences and more introspection. They get to come in and expand it more because I am not the person who gets to tell everybody what love is and what isn't, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like, I, I'm certainly going to share what's come up and what I've developed over the last six years or so. But can you imagine me putting like period at the end? (laughs) God. So that's part of it, the expansive part. Then it is literally and very intentionally taking love out of that, the confines of romance and family so that we can really reframe love as something that is just like a universal experience that it doesn't have to be tied to romance. For example, when I'm teaching about sexual orientation, I may be aromantic. I have honestly no idea, but I might be. And I don't, and I have the privilege of like not necessarily feeling affirmed by words. So I'm like, cool, maybe. 
there's a lot of questions around, well, does that mean aromantic people just don't feel love? How fucked up is that? Or that sounds so sad. You know, a lot of these really big misunderstandings. And that's because love has been packaged as romance, the thing that you have in your marriage. And like, you must not be able to get married then or have any kind of long-term relationships. Because if you're aromantic, I don't want to be with you. Yuck. That sounds like, you know, hugging a cactus, all this kind of shit. So it's like, Okay, what else do you love in your life? Do you use that word even to start? Do you use that word to describe anything outside of someone that you're in romantic partnership or related to? And it's like, yeah, I love my dog. Cool. Let's start there. Uh, what's your favorite movie? Oh, my God, I fucking love The Princess Bride. Okay, <laughs> cool. Um, and just like even just starting with language use first. Mm-hmm. Then we go into the emotion side of it. When you think about love or when you are feeling loved by someone, for example, just how do you, how would you describe it? You know, if I gave you a feelings wheel, what words would you choose to represent what's going on for you when that person has said or done something to you that makes you feel so gooey or whatever? And then just write those down. And that gives you some less subjective, more specific ways to understand that subjective word of love, because it's going to be different for everybody. And then you get to think about, okay, say respected is a word that you would use to describe what it feels like to be loved. Where else or who else or what else helps me feel that same level of respected? You just think about it. It's all open for interpretation. It's all like just information gathering. We don't have to do anything with it yet. And so you're like, okay, interesting. Yeah, I feel really respected when, I don't know, client makes eye contact with me and you know, we're able to work together and figure shit out as a team. Interesting. You know, that may be a source of love in a context that to you previously, maybe never in a million years, would you have thought that you could access some kind of a love feeling because gross, your coworker or your boss, you know, is someone you would never be attracted to. Great. Cause it, you don't have to be attracted to the person for love to exist, you know? Mm-hmm. It's again, really taking it outside of romance and especially sex, like just put it over here. And uh, so as you can imagine, like that ex- exploration, it's not terribly high stakes, honestly. Sometimes it actually feels a little fun. So it's like, oh, what else, you know? But it's it ends up like feeling like a big expanding kind of, I don't know, cloud or something where you start to really see how this thing expands upon this, expands upon that. And then the goal is really, how how many sources of love, number one, do I have in my life that I never realized because I was cutting everything off as love is only romance or sex or family and everything else is just different or, or an acquaintance or I, I cut myself off and I withdraw or I'm intentionally less connected with them because I don't want to marry them one day or we're not married and uh, and like what an abundance of of love and like really seeing like how could I open up to receiving those different kinds of love because they're actually just compelling different feelings in me that I associate with love. And then on the flip is recognizing that how you receive love or recognize it is probably not going to be a perfect match for how you give it. How could it? Like, it's just, it's too easy. It's too simple for, like, we're all messy and, <laughs> un, you know, unpredictable. So then it's also thinking about, okay, starting with who would I say I love? What do I say I love in general? Cool. So when I am thinking about that thing or that person or animal that I love, what do I feel when I think about them and visualize them? Like one of my cats, 
if I'm holding my cat and like, I'm going to picture one of them, you know, and petting her head and she does little like chirpy plurp, plurp, blurp sound. <laughs> like, what do I feel when she does that? Write it down. You know, again, we don't, it doesn't have to mean anything more than it, it, it does. And then just recognizing like, okay, what are some other things that <clears throat> I do for people for others or say, you know, things that I am in control of that also leave me feeling similarly to when I am with my, my cat who I love so dearly and doing the little thing I know she likes on her head. Is it possible that some of those feelings that you associate with loving that cat, could you also be showing different forms of love to these other places or other people or other things just in your life. Is that possible? And how does it feel to think about the fact that you could actually be expressing love more than you think because it's not linked to sex or romance or a family member that you have to say, I love you too on the phone. And it's just a lot of exploration. And by the time you've kind of worked through some of the exercises, there's like a workbook that people um, can use to, to feel more grounded in this. Cause yeah, it can feel a lot at first by the end of that workbook, it's like you've explored an entire forest mm-hmm. and it no longer feels unfamiliar or like treacherous because you know where all of the ho- the potholes are and the snakes and you've cut down, you know, the vines and the spiky stuff during the exploration process. And now you've got this like really beautiful place to kind of exist in, but it's always changing just like you are. So it's not, it's not like you reach the end and you're good. It's more like you've reached the end, you've done a lot of the heavy lifting, and now you have space to like breathe and kind of notice what's going on around you because you have those new glasses on that like lets you see all those things that maybe you just didn't see before because no one taught you how. And sometimes you were told not to. Mm-hmm. Another I, long example, long yeah. answer, but you know. <laughs> I love it. I love the way you broke down that exercise for yourself because like you're saying, it break down it breaks down so many barriers to how you view love. Cause I can talk about our fucking pink chairs. I mm-hmm. love our pink chairs. <laughs> and I wanna talk about the way that that, cause that love is visceral in me. <laughs> and I wanna talk about how real that is mm-hmm. and how that type of love does show up with like people I just met or coworkers or an animal. And all of that can be so real and doesn't have to be attached to romance and sex. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful exploration because it reminds me of Love Actually, where they're like, love actually is everywhere because it can be in everything. And I think that's wonderful to think of your love language being in how you love your new rug or Mm -hmm. how you love food. Like, I think that's wonderful. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I have to and say. I've done. <laughs> well, you're good at being concise. <laughs> it is so expansive, though. Like, I so appreciate that. My partner and I have been talking a lot lately about, you know, how do we receive love and how can I show him that I love him and how can he show me that he loves me in moments when we aren't feeling so good and specific scenarios like that. So those are conversations that we're trying to have, but I would love if we could get into some of the specific um, love languages, some of the specific modern love languages so that we can get some examples and kind of ground it for ourselves. Okay. Is there, are there any in particular that like have been lighting up for you recently? Um, eye contact is huge for me. When you mentioned that, I was thinking of that as like a love language. You're like eye contact with your coworker. And I was like, 
I was thinking of eye contact as being like a big love language for me. Um, and then one more I'm thinking of <laughs> is, mm -hmm. I don't even know if this is like a thing, but I was like sitting in the car with my boyfriend and we like just gotten in and it was a cold day. And like mm -hmm. he immediately reached over and like turned on my like seat heater, mm -hmm. like mine first. And I was like, that was so meaningful to me. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know what that would be coined as, but I feel like that's where these modern love languages has room <laughs> for that, those little yeah. things. So those are really fantastic examples also because you start noticing how um, little and small and potentially like not, not noticeable some of these actually very impactful things are because a lot of us are taught, you know, to show love. It has to be this big grand gesture. Mm -hmm. And it really just doesn't. For some people, they like the grand gestures. It's not, it's fine. But like, it's the idea of, you know, size doesn't always matter. It's like a grand gesture may be grand because it hits you like this big wave, but actually someone just pressed a button next to your seat, mm -hmm. right? And started mm -hmm. making it warm. Yeah. So like the eye contact thing. In my work, I have 18 right now. Um, and every once in a while, I realize like, yeah, there's probably two more that I could add if I wanted to undo all of this, you know, this beautiful <laughs> work and stuff that I've, I've done. Um, and I'll expand on them at, at, some, at some point. But so one of them is active listening. So people will notice like these are so nuanced that they can totally overlap as they fucking should. It's weird. It would be weird if they were all in their own separate islands. Right. Mm -hmm. So if eye contact in the context of having a conversation, maybe you're sharing something, maybe you're sharing about your day or you're like, I need support. And one of the ways of active listening that really registers for you is they're looking at you the whole entire time. Mm -hmm. Active listening could be a very big one in the context of romantic relationships. You might not give a fuck with your friends or your neighbor or your dad or whatever. And that's fine because also we're going to notice our love languages shift and change depending on the context of the relationship. For some people, it's like, that is too complicated. And it's like, yes, <laughs> correct. Like, yes. Welcome. You know, <laughs> all of this is just way more complicated. Um, then I mean, literally like looking at my list right now, the, other thing that um, stood out for me was engaged experiences. So the emphasis on the idea of like engaged, like you're really like in it together. So potentially like if you are playing a game, I don't know, or like trying to figure out how to even put, I don't know, Ikea furniture together, mm -hmm. which I know for a lot of people is like their worst nightmare, mm -hmm. understandable, but there are ways to kind of register. Well, if engaged experiences are really impactful, could we make this some kind of an engaged experience so that it doesn't feel as much of a kind of like treacherous uh, chore that has the potential of like completely obliterating the rest of the night for us? Mm -hmm. And that might be he makes eye contact with you or your roommate or your friend makes eye contact with you while you are reading off the instructions mm -hmm. or when you're both trying to figure out like where does that final screw that's just sitting on the floor go and you're like, oh, God, <laughs> you know, you are engaged together you're not in your on your own fix it type of paths you're just like all right let's check this what did you see there and like there's also the eye contact that's connecting you while you're doing that engage experiences could be you know a, a thing for you um the other oh, what else i mean the thing the seat warming thing i think is just like a such a sweet example uh, my spouse does that for me too uh, right away there's the thoughtful service modern love language so it sounds similar to the classic of acts of service, but you notice that acts of service is just like any action of servitude, right? Mm -hmm. 
this one is has like a lot of intention and thought behind it. Like the service is not, you should feel loved because I made you a sandwich service. It's like, no, I, you don't give a shit about sandwiches. I'm not going to make it for you. Even if you're hungry, I'll make you, if I'm going to do it, I'll make you something I know you like. Mm-hmm. There's the thought. If it's cold out and like, yeah, you're getting in the car. He's like, she's fucking freezing. Probably more cold than I am. Boop. Mm-hmm. Turn, you know, turn that on. I'm thinking about that. It is a service for sure. It's lower stakes, but it, it tells you this service came as a result of him thinking about me probably for a little while, you know, like long enough to recognize as soon as I get in the car, I'm pressing the button mm-hmm. and it may be, it, you know, so um, it may be a habit now almost where the thought doesn't have to be there because it's just, uh, you know, registering. So thoughtful service could be a really big thing. There's also um, you know, providing is one that, you know, that word can mean different things to different people, but it's not about necessarily like money or housing necessarily, but it can be. In that small experience, that's like providing you comfort. You know, it's providing you a warm place to sit where you don't have to do jack shit. All you have to do is get in the car, sit down. And he does the rest. You know, he's providing that um, support and comfort for you. And a little bit of emotional labor, potentially, just like the thought of it, but, you know, not a ton. Acts of empathy is the other one that's kind of like hitting me because, again, it's an act, you know, an action but it's specifically with this, like, I am imagining how she feels right now. Mm-hmm. And knowing that it's a feeling that I know she doesn't like and enjoy, I have control over something that could, like, alleviate it a little. Right. And I'm going to do that thing. Mm-hmm. So those are all things that, you know, depending on maybe different factors, could be things like like you could consider as maybe that is a modern love language that is important to me, specifically with my boyfriend, And that's info you get to like put on paper somewhere and refer to if you want. And it's okay if it doesn't match with your best friend or, you know, the roommate, but you may end up doing like a similar process where you're like, okay, what's, what's the thing my roommate does for me that actually makes me feel like, ah, fuck, I got a really good roommate. And then you start kind of like looking at the the list, you know, where could this fall on the modern love languages according to how I receive these. Because there's so much nuance that it's a lot harder to perceive these or conceive these in ways that could actually like flip it on its head and be maybe harmful. Mm-hmm. There's just, there's not as much space for that with the modern love languages. Yeah. Those examples hit me straight in the who I am bone, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. especially the actively engaged one with mm-hmm. all types of activities that you could be doing. I have been trying to formulate that feeling into a sentence for so long. It's like, I love when people do stuff with me. Great. But it's when you're participating in our activity in Mm -hmm. like sitting here with me, that feels so much different, but people can be like, well, I'm here while I'm sitting here. Mm -hmm. It's like, but there's a thing that's missing and I can't put Mm -hmm. my phone on it, but like there's something. Mm -hmm. And so that one hit me as like really important to my love language. (laughs) It makes sense. Mm-hmm. You're probably not alone. Yeah. <laughs> there are just like a lot of really beautiful little ways to love someone and to be mm-hmm. loved. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. Yeah. You said emotional labor. Can you explain that one a little bit more? Because I have yeah. a feeling I'm connected to that. <laughs> it's possible. So, you know, emotional labor is really rooted in originally, you know, this idea of 
Well, I guess my experience of it and understanding of it is the extra unpaid, unrecognized labor that Black women especially would do in like the workplace, for example. And as discourse around emotional labor has sort of shifted and evolved over, I want to say I first learned about it maybe like eight or 10 years ago. It's also been additionally expanded to describe the kind of unrecognized, unpaid labor that some people in households or in relationships or in workplaces, sometimes friendships, that are things like, you know, remembering dates or um, remembering to, you know, you're the one that picks out the gift and figures out what they like it because you noticed it and you stored it in your mind. Or it's the emotional labor of, you know, being on the receiving end of someone's just pissed off rant. They just, they're like, I need to fucking rant. I need to say all of the, you know, hurtful derogatory things that I would never normally say, but I just need to fucking like let it out. And there's some emotional labor there. You are receiving, you know, noise and language and words and holding space for that person. Um, so it's, it can show up in a lot of different ways. The word labor can be tough because it is so associated with like workplace. But for some people, like that may actually be something they do in their workplace that is a, an acknowledgement of, yeah, actually, I'm good at this. This is something I do for the coworker that I hate the least, you know, when <laughs> we're like talking about the weekend and they're having a hard time with their girlfriend again like yeah actually don't mind being there for that person um because it actually makes me feel kind of good to be on the receiving end of that and like that's just again info you don't have to feel good about it and you don't have to feel bad about feeling good about it either it's just information Mm -hmm. that is a lot different than i was expecting the definition to be and tell me um i guess it it, my, in my head, it was more of maybe the side of it of being like, oh, this is exhausting. You're mm. exhausting type of a thing, which probably mm. could be incorporated in the laborious part of that, but not always. It also sounds like just you do you like the heavy legwork of being emotionally available, which I think I'm pretty emotionally available to my friendships and my partnerships. And yes, sometimes I think I do a little bit more of the heavy lifting in other relationships um but i don't know maybe i think i guess i just thought of it as more of a negative thing negative characteristic well that's the thing i mean it is often in the context of like fuck this shit i am offering so much that not only isn't acknowledged but is almost expected of me because of how our culture recognizes like who is in charge of what and who has to do more and who's allowed to be mediocre Mm -hmm. at best so that makes complete sense the idea of here is like really just thinking about emotional labor as uh, also a, a, like a form of service or something that you can offer when you're consenting to it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're actually like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do this now. I'm, a, I'm available for it. It makes me feel good to be there for this person or it makes me feel safe and in charge when I'm the one managing the calendar. Like, great. And that's because it's on your terms. It's not being imposed on you for reasons that shouldn't fucking matter. And it's not necessarily being exploited or taken advantage of because you are actually the one in charge of, of offering it or shutting Mm -hmm. it down and not making it available anymore. Right. Yeah. That's something that I feel like I've struggled with in my current relationship. And we've talked about this and this specific example that I'm about to give, but there were times where I felt like if I don't, go get the dog's medication, like their monthly, like flea and tick, heartworm, those kinds of things. I'm like, nobody's going to do it. I have Mm -hmm. to do it. That's 100% on me, even though these are shared 
like responsibilities between the two of us. But if I don't say something or if I don't go do it myself, it just won't happen. And so like those kinds of small examples, they add up and then that feels like yeah. a lot of emotional labor that I did not agree to take on, but then I feel mm -hmm. really irritated. And so I notice, you know, as I've talked about those things with my partner and he does more of the emotional labor on certain things, like that mm -hmm. is a way that makes me feel really loved. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. A part of my job, so I'm the receptionist at my nine to five, and I feel like that is a lot of my job is being the person to receive any type of social interaction. And as someone who, you know, only gets my energy from being alone, it's been like a laborious task to be mm -hmm. that person who's like emotionally available for anyone who wants to come to my desk at any time to either talk about their weekend or their thoughts or their day. And I very, like, I don't get asked about like my day a lot, but that's okay. I don't love sharing all the time. So, mm -hmm. but then if you go home and I either have like, a phone call with someone in my family and they're venting about something or we have like work shit that happened and like we have to vent. It's like sometimes your day is very emotionally, emotional labor filled. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a great mm -hmm. word for it. It's like emotionally taxing, I guess, is the word I've always used, but I like labor. That sounds like I'm putting in time yeah. <laughs> on the clock. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like it, which mm -hmm. is going to you kind of shift how you feel about like who gets access to that when you it's not expected of you or taken advantage of. And you're like, no, mm -hmm. like, this is the thing I want to do for my partner. Or right. I actually want, I like supporting my best friend in this way, but I do need, you know, six hours of alone time before I have recharged and I can do it on my terms. And it's really, I guess the, the way that I kind of think about all of this stuff is just like in your unique, the Royal you, but also, you know, you, you, um, in your unique way of existing and the stuff that you have to deal with day to day that no one else necessarily would understand or would necessarily even have the same experience with how any of this stuff lands, especially with some of the examples of things, how it's broken down in the ebook, you get to see how does that land uniquely for me as who I am. And that gets to be true for me, even if it doesn't land the same way as my friend or my sister or whoever that's fine. It, why should it land the same? It doesn't have to be universal because again, like there is no template for existing or being a human. We're all over the place. We're all so uniquely different and changing with every experience we are having everything, new thing we learn, any you know shitty thing that happens. Like we're all evolving uniquely from our own like timeline of experiences. And so you get to make all this stuff work or not work, you know, for you on your terms, no matter what, anybody else says because the rules are also taken out away from here too like there isn't a right or a wrong anywhere mm -hmm. when it comes to things like modern love languages it's really about the gray area in between removing all the binary stuff right and that's such a beautiful thing to be reminded of too I think that's hard for me like that message of like it doesn't have to land the same for other people as it does for you because I give myself a lot of guilt of like oh if someone else did this they would not be this tired they would not feel this angry they mm -hmm. would not like xyz and yeah. so to be reminded that these love languages can hit you different can appear different and it doesn't have to be validating for the person listening to you explain it it can just be validating for you and that's completely 
right and true. It's just a, it's a great reminder to constantly have across a lot of different avenues of your life. Mm -hmm. Can you yourself meet like your own love language need or is it inherently between you and others? Such a good question. So that's also a part of the modern love language concept is in addition to reframing love as something more expansive, it's also reframing what does relationship mean to be way more expansive than just like romance. Mm. As I'm sure you've experienced or people have shared even like the word relationship can be carry so much baggage that people are like, we're not in a relationship. We're in a ship. <laughs> right? We're ships. Or, or yeah. we're, we're a thing, right? Because relationship is like serious, leading to marriage, monogamous, et cetera. High stakes, all the things. So I like to think about, well, like, what does a relationship actually mean? Like outside of all of that. And it's a, an interpersonal interaction or engagement of some kind, you know, which means not only could almost any interaction be, be a relationship, even if it's like 20 seconds when you're saying hi to the male person, like you have a relationship with that male person. You That also means you're constantly interacting with yourself, whether you like it and want to or not, right? And when you really think about it, like we are in a 24-7 relationship with ourselves. There is no break. There's no timeout. It's just we are with ourselves all the time, which is really challenging. It's just challenging. And when we can think about it as I'm like, you know, I'm dating myself or I'm my own roommate or, you know, whatever you want to describe it as, it might assist a little bit in thinking, okay, well, you know, what is it like, what do I need that helps me feel loved? And what is in my control to give myself or do or say to myself? And so you can really use all of these modern love languages and just flip them so that they're facing you. So and there's actually, I was hired a ways back to do a short video on just uh, modern love languages for self-care to really offer some examples of how things like intentional time or affirming communication or acts of empathy are fully 100% doable to yourself by yourself. And they could actually really have a powerful impact, not only because you're doing the thing that you know you need and it's it doesn't have to be a huge gesture doesn't mean doesn't have to be like you went to yoga and you, you didn't skip it. Like for some people, that's a really tall order. Maybe that time is like, yeah, I didn't order out and I made something that I knew would taste good. And I used the fancy mayo and like, I, you know, got, I don't know, got the avocado as the, the <laughs> thing that's extra. And, um, and then I ate it and it was fucking good. Um, that's, an act of empathy, that's thoughtful service that could be engaged experiences, If especially if you like watched your favorite show while you were eating it. And you didn't have to rely on anybody else, you know, like no one had to do it for you. You didn't have to tell anybody, here's what I need. It was just like you, yourself and you. And um, the more you do it, I don't know, the more you're kind of showing your brain that you are able to. It doesn't mean you have to do it all the time, but it's just like, in those moments where you're, you feel like I'm such, you know, I'm using extreme language, but I relate to it. Like, I'm such a piece of shit. I, like, I always do this. Like, when am I going to fucking figure my shit out and stop doing the same thing over and over again? It's like, first off, whose voice is that? It's probably not yours. But anyway, okay, great. What what do I need? What can I do right now? That is the kind, like, showing myself the kind of modern love kind of support that if I could snap my fingers, I would get from, you know, I don't know, a parent or a caregiver or a partner. So like the, that might be, you know, active empathy. Okay. 
I'm feeling like shit and I'm telling myself I'm a piece of shit. So does that mean I need to look at myself in the mirror and say something that's remotely nicer? Sounds very cheesy. That's also affirming communication, another modern love language. Or it could be, no, I'm, I'm taking a shower and I'm going to wash my hair with the conditioner, you know, doing the, just that extra thing. And so you're not necessarily telling yourself you have to feel different, you know, and you're not giving yourself a platitude, but you're like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to have an engaged experience and intentional time with myself. And I'm going to do that extra, extra thoughtful service of using the hair mask or using, you know, the nice body scrub that smells good, or I'm going to put lotion on afterward so that which it is a make pajamas feel good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Little things that, um, help counter the I'm a piece of shit type of messages with I'm a piece of shit, but today I did that thing I never do. And how good does, you know, my, do my sweatpants feel against <laughs> my skin or whatever? Like my hair right. smells so good now. Um, and that, you know, those are like powerful, just powerful things. Mm-hmm. Those are beautiful. And I'm so happy that we, you touched on having it with yourself too, because I also think it'd be awesome to have a conversation with you sometime about your perspective on relationships. And we've, cause you've touched on a few things where I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. Like mm-hmm. our view on relationships and stuff like that. So, but I love how a relationship with ourself is just as important and just as like active as a relationship with someone mm-hmm. outside of ourself. Um, and those are beautiful examples on how we could do that. When you said 24 seven, I was like, that's true. Fuck. That's You're a lot right. of fucking time. <laughs> yeah, like, that's too no much. Like, we're no, so it's tired. real. Yeah, yeah. so tired. <laughs> if somebody else was as mean to me as I am, twenty four seven, my my God. goodness, they. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that it's was definitely you know yeah it's something to think about. Um, oh, there's something else that you just said too that like brought uh, brought a little reminder in, but I mean it it flew away out of my ear. <laughs> Anyway, absolutely. Yes. And thanks for bringing in the self-love thing too. Cause I sometimes in the long explanation of like, how is this all different? I sometimes also forget to remind people like you're in a relationship with yourself. So all of this fucking counts. Right. My God. Yes. Thank you so much. (sighs) Thank you. Where can our listeners continue connecting with you after this episode and access, um, modern love language ebook, all of that. Yeah, so the easiest way to actually like learn a little bit more about it, access the ebook, the new workbook. Uh, there's also a weekend intensive that I am going to announce soon in February at uh, themodernlovelanguages.com. And if uh, anyone's interested in like actual some of the, my other services, one-on-one stuff, andhottership.com is where you go for that. And you also can just see um, different little snippets of educational content, mostly like sexuality education on uh, TikTok and Instagram at The Ann Hotter. I have so many words for my love now, for this couch, for this blanket rug carpet fur for you ah i guess you You can be included in that oh thank you third third (laughs) 
Yes. So thank you, Anne, very much for coming back on the podcast. You are lovely. And thank you to our listeners for hanging out. Yeah. And if you want to thank us, head on over to Apple Podcasts to rate, review, and subscribe to Honey Do Me. You can also rate us on Spotify. It helps us a lot. Share this episode with someone. I feel like this is such an easy, digestible yeah. episode to share with someone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like, here's how to fuck upside down. Yeah. And that might be like a little scary to send someone. Some this people. one, <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> But I feel like this one is just, it, it applies to everybody in your life. So yeah. please, 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 please share it. Yes, yeah. exactly. And um, we love you. Mm-hmm. We do. We'll drop a little heart in your love language in the reviews if mm-hmm. you write one from this episode. Yeah. Or whatever. I don't care. Email us. Yeah. Email us what you liked. <laughs> Let me know how much you love we me. We love <laughs> listener emails. Apparently yeah. they work really well. We do. So. We do. All right. Well, we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.